basically getting a little crab droid, taking a little bit of nuclear energy out of the core, and then scanning it and uploading it to the Apex facility? Like, basically just like, hey, 3D print this out. And then, like, they don't they don't talk about it. They're just like, oh, you got the upload. That's going to make our energy better. They don't talk about, like, physically building a new battery. Like, none of it makes any logistical sense. And it's just like, nope, we we, <laughs> we took a picture of it, and now we have unlimited power, and now Godzilla, Mechagodzilla is ready to roll. And that rules. I mean, that's how I'm powered. It's like, if you if you scan a picture of, like, a mean, white-haired anime boy into me, I'm powered for, like, a week. <laughs> Welcome to Mortified, the Friendship Quest, a podcast where two long-distance friends bounce media recommendations, all in hopes the other will like it. I'm Aaron. And I'm a tap water drinker. And this week, we chat about the apex of the MonsterVerse with Godzilla vs. Kong. Before we drive this podcast with our telepathically linked brains, remember you can help us on Mortified the Legitimacy Quest by subscribing to us on YouTube, iTunes, or Spotify, signing up for our monthly newsletter through the link in our show notes, or following us on Twitter and Tumblr, at MortifiedPod. Layla. Aaron. Um, you ever seen that movie, uh, Journey to the Center of the Earth? I have not, actually. Oh, okay. Have you seen, um, Alien vs. Predator? No. Okay, well, it's good that you haven't, because this movie is better than both of those. Oh, good. <laughs> it's better than most <laughs> movies I've seen recently. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, Layla, we have been threatening to talk about godzilla v kong for so long uh this movie came out in what march of 2021 um and while unfortunately we were not able to uh meet up in ohio to to watch it together um we did get to experience it and um i have to say pretty pretty solid flick oh pretty fucking good yeah i would say um i mean like what what's your what what are your um experiences with the other monster first movies you know the kong skull islands and your godzillas etc the only other one I've seen in this particular run of the MonsterVerse movies was um, the one with Mothra. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. And I watched that in the theaters. That was cool. Yes, yes. Uh, I think that was what, Godzilla King of the Monsters, something like that? Yeah, 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 yeah. That was it. I did also see um, whichever one came out either in the, I think in 92, that was the first movie I ever saw in theaters in Moscow. Oh, you saw the, like... Like a old Godzilla, okay. Mm-hmm. Very spooky. Huh. Do not take a small child to that. Yeah, wow. <laughs> That's uh, interesting. Well, um, I, I would consider myself uh, a bit of a connoisseur of the MonsterVerse. Um, there's just like, there'll be times in my life where I'm just like, I need to watch every movie in a franchise uh, because I'm depressed. And when I do that, I, the last time I did that was like... Um, you know, 2018, 2019, around the time that Monster, the uh, King of the Monsters came out. And I, you know, I watched Skull Island and I watched like the, the King Kong with Jack Black in it. Do you remember that? What? There's a King Kong with Jack Black in it? Yeah. Yeah. It's wild. Um, and, you know, potentially very racist, but um, <laughs> like, yeah, there's, there's some, 
you know, the, the MonsterVerse stuff has been going for a long time. Um, Godzilla 2014 was also, like, hailed as, like, pretty good. Um, listeners might remember, like, the the trailer with, like, the, the paratroopers jumping and, like, these, like, trails of red smoke coming down and then, like, the shadow of an enormous Godzilla kind of standing up in front of them. That was a very famous trailer at the time. But, yeah, I mean, the MonsterVerse project has been going on for a long time. Um, and, you know, this is kind of, like, the big the big moment right this is their fucking avengers infinity war uh and i think it's i think it's the the best of all of the monsterverse films just because it does not take itself seriously at all no not for a fucking second um it doesn't take itself seriously it doesn't take humanity seriously it certainly does not take science seriously and i loved all but one line of dialogue in this entire flick Excellent. Uh, can't wait to dig into that. Uh, without further ado, Layla, I believe it is your turn to do the summary. I love that I've gotten to present both the longest summary and the shortest <laughs> summary. Um, <laughs> here's what happens in this flick. Godzilla's very angry, and no one knows why. Because in theory, he has left humanity alone. He just vibes out in the ocean. But now he's attacking again. He attacks a place called Apex. And then there's two teams of humans. There's Team Godzilla, which is Millie Bobby Brown, uh, who plays uh, Madison, her friend Josh, and then a podcaster named Bernie, who showers with bleach. Um, Then there's Team Kong, who is Eileen, her adopted daughter Gia, and one of the Skarsgårds, Nathan. And uh, Team Godzilla and Team Kong are both trying to protect, like, their own monster. Uh, Meanwhile, Kong has to go uh, be a tour guide in the Hollow Earth, which is maybe his home, maybe not. But it has a power source that Elon Musk needs. Uh, Elon Musk being Walter, um, whose daughter is with Team Kong. Um, And then when they resurface, uh, well, they resurface after Kong finds an axe and Godzilla blows a hole in the crust of the earth, they resurface in Hong Kong, have the coolest fight scene ever put on film. Uh, and then Mecha Godzilla shows up because that's what Elon Musk was up to. And uh, the three of them fight with Kong and Godzilla on the same team. It's dope as hell. And I loved every second of it. Yeah, I mean, that's it. And frankly, that's all you need. Um, let's, let's talk about the characters um, because like, the characters don't matter um, basically at all, but I do think that there are like some like pretty good bits of like quippy dialogue in here that that are that are worth mentioning. Um, and and you know on the whole for for what the characters do, which is largely be like wow look at these big monsters and how scary they are. You know I think they do a fine job of it. Um, how do you feel about Millie Bobby Brown, uh, Madison? I love that she is a tinfoil hat conspiracy theorist. That brings me great glee. Uh, she thinks that the fluoride <laughs> in the tap water makes you weak-willed. Um, I love it. It's good. It's really good. Um, I fear this is the kind of daughter that I'm going to raise, um, which is like somebody who listens to too many podcasts, but also is like, oh, my dad thinks he knows about science. Well, I bet he doesn't know about the lizard people living in your walls. And I'm going to be like, what? <laughs> and, um... Yeah, I mean, she does a great job of being, like, you know, um, a spunky teen protagonist who is, is very competent and, and unafraid of anything, and she's great. I also like that she wears kind of bad makeup. Like, it doesn't look like a makeup artist did her, like, a beautiful cat eye on her. No, it looks like a teenager playing around with some wet and wild she picked up at the drugstore. Amazing. 10 out of 10. Um, her friend Josh, 
Uh, the aforementioned tap water drinker. The tap water. Me and him both. Um, I tend to be the Josh in most situations. Um, Josh does also unfortunately have the burden of having my, my only disliked line of dialogue in the entire flick, which is where they go down, um, into, <laughs> into hell, into the Apex facility. Um, he does say, I don't understand women, which I thought was yes, just yes, stupid. That line, sh- yep, that line should have been cut and is bad. Yep. But, um, you know, it, it, it's just to pit him as like the, the silly coward, you know, you know, in- incompetent, but, you know, well-meaning best friend, yeah, whatever. It was bad, but. You know, other than that, you know, that was the only one that stuck out. And, and considering the material that this film is drawing from, I'm I'm glad that they didn't get worse. Um, like, I think he also he has some like very good comic relief with um, Bernie, who we're going to talk about here in a sec, uh, because Bernie is basically just like, oh, you're you're a sheep for, you know, believing all the things that the government tells you. And like uh, at one point, you know, like Bernie is yelling at him to. Um, like hack the the computer that Mechagodzilla is operating out of, I guess. Uh, and he's like, I thought you were a hacker. <laughs> and then Josh is like, I took an HTML course at summer camp. And Bernie says, HTML? Was it a 90s camp? <laughs> and I was just like, yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, no, they're they're really good. Um, also, the same scene where Bernie is just like, I wanted to die with adults. <laughs> yeah. Also very yeah. good. Yeah, let's talk about Bernie. Um, uh, Bernie, drop your drop your um, your condensers, drop your voice modulators. How are you getting that crisp studio sound out of a basement? Yeah, I was gonna say he's like recording from his van, and he gets way better audio than we do. <laughs> it's just like, come on, man, what, what's your secret? What mic are you using? Yeah, drop your setup. I mean, I'm sure we could figure out what mic he's using. <laughs> that, that was a very loving close up on his laptop. <laughs> yeah, that that was definitely some sponsored content, but. Um, yeah, I mean, I think he's, like, a funny guy. Um, there, there is one weird bit of, um, like, exposition. We get, like, ba- basically what we learn about Bernie, besides the fact is that he's like, runs a, a weird conspiracy theory podcast, is that once he had a wife, um, and, like, they, they go out of their way to explain that, like, his wife passed away and gave him this, um, like, flask full of liquor that he keeps in like a gun holster in his in his jacket and like he says like the day that this runs dry is the day that i die um and like of course that comes back later it's um you know it's used to help defeat mechagodzilla funnily enough but like i i did notice that was a very strange bit of of like just setting up that that particular um you know gun to to go off at at the end but um you know besides that he's mostly just like a funny dude yeah, I mean, that feels like something that maybe got left behind on a rewrite, you know what I mean? Like, it was more important before, um, or maybe it was, like, supposed to add a little bit of tension to the scene where Josh dumps all that liquor into mm-hmm. the uh, into the computer, but I honestly forgot it happened, so. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I think that it's, we're, you know, it is folly to try to pick apart the, the narrative um, choices in this film, really, but um, we're gonna do it anyway, because that's what Mortified is here for. Um, who else we got? We got Gia, who is the best actor in this film. Oh, by far. There were moments where, like, the, it felt like maybe the director didn't quite know what to do with her because she was a deaf character. Um, so there was a lot of, like, cutting to her and she's just making the same sad face. But then when she actually got to act and interact with Kong, crushed it. And that's, like, very impressive because Kong is entirely CGI. Like, they didn't, like, make a puppet or anything. Um, 
but like she does have very believable responses she's constantly signing to him and like when kong tells her that he's sad or like he wants to go home and like her like crushed like little girl face is so good um it's really really remarkable work i think you and i both teared up when she told him to be careful yeah like it's you know we there are very few moments that we see you know this this character gia like actually get to like interact with people that besides like you know her her guardian and who's just like telling her to go places she mostly gets just like moved around like they took her on the the mission to the center of the earth which was wildly irresponsible but like i guess also her her whole deal is that she's the one who can talk to kong so i guess it's it's narratively plausible but um you know like she's mostly just there being like i i'm a child i need to go to school (laughs) um this is this is all maybe not the best environment for me but um when she does get to those scenes where she is just like like reaching her hand out and like comforting Kong in the rain because the, there's a great like bit where Kong is just like on an aircraft carrier because they're like sailing him to Antarctica for whatever reason uh, and like she goes out and like comforts him and interacts with him and it's great. Yeah, no, she she crushes it. She's probably my favorite character um, in in the movie. Yeah, uh, do you have anything to say to Eileen other than maybe she should not be taking a child into the center of the earth? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, she is largely there for, you know, narrative reasons, or not even, I guess, narrative reasons, but more just like, hey, here's, here's a, you know, here's an explanation of, of all the wild backstory for, like, the five people who care about the MonsterVerse, and she didn't really do anything, uh, I don't, I don't know that she made any significant choices in the story, but, you know, she's cool, um, I like that there was, like, a, I think it was, like, a Time Magazine article um, that said that she was the Kong Whisperer, which is a very cool thing to put on your LinkedIn. <laughs> yeah, that would be my my LinkedIn headline for sure. Um, uh, Nathan, the Skarsgård, uh, Hollower scientist, what I appreciated about Nathan um, was one, he likes Miatas. When the Miatas come under fire, he sadly says, well, I like Miatas. And that's okay, Nathan. Thank you for admitting that you like a tiny sports car. Um, I also appreciate that he and Eileen didn't have, like, an explicit romance, even though they were all together and clearly, like, closer at the end of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had, like, a really nice moment with Gia after she called him a coward. She actually yeah. <laughs> told him he was brave. Um, but, um, yeah, so so I appreciated that uh, they really de-emphasized the humans in the story, as they should have, because the monsters are absolutely the best part exactly like it's this is not a story about humans it's about you know it's about monsters and the damage they wreak on the world and reveling in that and the spectacle of all that but you know that you have to have some humans because you know despite every marvel movie you can't just watch an only cgi movie there's there's got to be either you know there's got to be characters in it that that have lines ostensibly that's probably not even true i bet there's a bunch of great movies that don't have speaking characters but um you know, it's a blockbuster. You're going to want to put actors that, that have, like, relative relative fame in there. That's why Millie Bobby Brown is in this film. Um, but, yeah, you know, he he's fine. He's, he's like, kind of a, like a dork, but, you know, he does his best. Uh, he, I like the, <laughs> I like the idea that he, um, the thing is that he wrote, he, like, is the guy who wrote the Hollow Earth theory and, like, and came up with all these hypotheses and, like, you know, essentially is the reason that elon musk is able to to go to the center of the earth because he like read his book he was like oh okay i'll just use satellites to prove him right um because that's how satellites work anyway um 
but like it, the the story is that like he he like works at this you know university, but because everybody thinks he's like a nut job, they put him next to the flute section <laughs> where the band people practice, which is really good. Yeah, that's truly how you know you've you've sunk low. Um, no, he's he's great. Uh, the Miata line got a genuine laugh out of me, and that's more than I can say for a lot of leading men in these in these movies. Um, let's talk about your favorite character, um, our Elon Musk uh, character, Walter. Wait, why do you think he's my favorite character? Uh, well, because I know how much you love these like tech evangelists, and they're your heroes, and you know you're such a big like crypto dude. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, I'm gonna drop my um, my my Polygon Bitcoin wallet in in the show notes, and um, I'm gonna kiss my my picture of Steve Jobs before I say you know anything about about different tech bro. Um, I mean, you know, it's just weird that this is a type of, of villain that we get in this like era, but like you, you brought this up with, with, you know, studio trigger, right? Every studio trigger villain is just, uh, Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk. Right. Um, and it's just very funny that like, we all know, like every, everybody in, in media knows that we, there are just like a certain type of people who person who is terrible and like it like if we if we say oh this is a rich tech guy we'll be like oh that's mark zuckerberg oh that's jack dorsey that's elon musk uh it's fine to hate them it's fine to be cool when it's fine to like you know cheer when mechagodzilla reaches through a window and breaks every bone in this man's body uh and i did i also did truly he dies in a very unceremonious way and so does his daughter maya who is actually next on our list i don't really have anything much to say about her other than um king kong did crush her in her cool super expensive uh anti-gravity car and i just love that because it wasn't dragged out and it really emphasizes the insignificance of our mortal lives right the dismissive like nature of him he like picks up the car he kind of like considers it for a moment and just kind of squeezes it like uh like a capri sun that's been drained of all its sweet sweet juice and just sort of drops it on the ground and like the whole scene is less than six seconds he just walks on um and it's great and you know i think that you're right it is a perfect metaphor for what these films are trying to achieve which is that you know humanity is insignificant and we should all worship uh kaiju oh yeah absolutely uh i will be a godzilla worshiper any day of the week i love that fat uh thick lizard um, Ren Sarazawa, the pilot of Mechagodzilla. He's cool. Um, you know, he doesn't get much to do in this film except for pilot Mechagodzilla. Um, Elon Musk does tell him to get in the, get in the chair, get in the goddamn chair is the line. And, and you, you pointed out that they were this close to making an Evangelion joke. Um, but you know what? They, they did what they could with, um, what they had. Um, you know, he got... You gotta be a mech pilot, that's cool. You know, right before we started recording, you pointed out to me I should consider streaming what with my new accessories. And if anyone has uh, the sickest streamer setup I've ever seen, it is Ren Serizawa inside of the... <laughs> inside of the... Um, oh my god, what is what is his name? The Ghidorah skull. Inside of a Ghidorah skull. Um, with the neon purple lights and the cool tubes and shit. I would watch, I would watch him stream Elden Ring out of there. Didn't Bernie say that if this wasn't so evil, it'd be a great DJ booth? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that's exactly right. Yeah. No, uh, everything that Apex Technologies makes does look like it's gamer gear. It's like all got LED lighting and it's all like red and neon and very, you know, flamboyant and obviously evil coded and it's great. 
Yeah, no, that's it's truly uh, a fantastic set design for for the few interiors that we get. A lot of this is filmed outside, but uh, really sick. I loved every second of it. Um, Kong. So King Kong is ostensibly the protagonist of this film, right? Like <laughs> he's framed as the good guy. Yeah, which is incredible <laughs> considering everything. You know, considering, yeah, like, King Kong came into existence as a metaphor for, you know, like, racism and, and being like, you know, you know, King Kong is not, has not, has very bad racist origins, but, like, now he's he's a 400-foot gorilla who is going to fight Godzilla to protect humanity, which is very funny. He's got, he's got a literal, you know, throne to sit on uh, and, uh, and a nuclear axe to, with which he will slay the the enemies that we've created for ourselves, and you know what? I you gotta respect the king, um, and I, I think they do a great job of just animating the faces of both Kong and Godzilla in this. They they feel very very uh, not not necessarily human, but they the human emotion comes through, and they're very relatable. Yeah, um, they're definitely a little bit more anthropomorphized, and like there are moments in shots where he looks a little bit goofy, like the the rig just looks kind of unappealing from certain angles, but who cares? He's a giant monkey and a tour guide, and he gets to float in anti-gravity, and he gets to swing on stuff, and he uh, does the sickest shit I've ever seen in my life, which is he slams his dislocated shoulder into a skyscraper to set it back in its place again. I don't need anything else. He climbs the hole that Godzilla burned through the center of the earth to emerge into Hong Kong. Like, that's... Because I I wrote that down, I was like, okay. So, the first two-thirds of the movie were trying to get Kong into the center of the earth. And I was like, wow, that took a long time. I don't know how they're going to get him out. I forgot. But I know he fights Mechagodzilla at the end. They just have... Godzilla just burns a hole through the the center of the earth. He climbs out of it. They don't spend more than five seconds justifying it. And you know what? That's great. Yeah, speaking of uh, my lizard king, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we're both weebs. I think we're both a little bit more inclined to like Godzilla. Uh, he seems like a cool, you know, we, we, we stand kaiju. We stand a big, big fire-breathing lizard. We, we hate nuclear war. Um, Godzilla's great. Yeah, truly. Uh, I love that he his uh, little back ridges, uh, they show us when he's charging, uh, like any good accessory. <laughs> So that also ch- charging just made me remember that c- they say that Kong's axe is charging when he puts it in the little dock. <laughs> he charges his axe up and it's really good and it also starts glowing much like Godzilla's backwards. And you need that because then Godzilla charges the axe with his cool nuclear breath uh, mm-hmm. and helps him fight Mechagodzilla. Um, who, all right, we've got to talk about Mechagodzilla because the, what they posit is that (laughs) Ghidorah's brain is in Mechagodzilla, right? And then he's, he's like connected through the DNA in the skull, but Ghidorah's three skulls are strategically like placed around the world, like in Hong Kong and wherever the other two Apex facilities are, like monster Bluetooth. It's wild, but yeah, basically they're using magic slash telepathy to to pilot Mechagodzilla like a fucking RC car. Um, but also, poor Ren Sarazara has to like fuse his consciousness into Mechagodzilla, which of course gets taken over by King Ghidorah. Um, and the the thing 
the thing that is wild about Mechagodzilla is that, like, the reason that they're going to the center of the Earth is to get, um, basically, like, you know, unlimited energy, right? They think that in the center of the Earth there's going to be a, an energy source that is super powerful and that'll, like, you know, solve all, solve all of Earth's energy problems, but actually it's just to power Mechagodzilla. And um, Elon Musk's daughter sends them that sample by basically getting a little crab droid, taking a little bit of nuclear energy out of the core, and then scanning it and uploading it to the Apex facility? Like, basically just like, hey, 3D print this out. And then, like, they don't they don't talk about it. They're just like, oh, you got the upload. That's going to make our energy better. They don't talk about, like, physically building a new battery. Like, none of it makes any logistical sense. And it's just like, nope, we we, <laughs> we took a picture of it, and now we have unlimited power, and now Godzilla, Mechagodzilla is ready to roll. And that rules. I mean, that's how I'm powered. It's like if you if you scan a picture of like a mean white haired anime boy into me, I'm powered for like a week. <laughs> I'm glad that. <laughs> Did you like that? <laughs> I can't tell what's. Uh, it's just that the nuclear energy at the center of the earth. <laughs> is to Mechagodzilla <laughs> as white-haired anime boys is to Layla, which does make me think that um, Mechagodzilla uh, is a lot hornier than we saw in the film, and I wish that uh, we had a little bit more on-screen time with that. Uh, I support him in his conquests. Um, I stand here uh, in, in support of my allosexual friends and colleagues uh, while I hang out in the in the ace spectrum, but yes, uh, absolutely. Uh, uh. <laughs> hey, speaking of Mecha Godzilla, he's got good noises. Mecha Godzilla's sound, like we'll talk about the sound design here in a bit, but Mecha Godzilla's roar is fucking cool. It just sounds like you know if you auto tune running a cheese grater over you know your your kitchen cutlery. It's awesome. Yeah, no, that's what I was trying to transition into. Is our first talking point is about the sound design. Yeah, I mean, you, you brought this up in your notes. You you have a lot more production experience. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, all the sounds were cool as shit. Yeah, sounds were cool as shit. Um, not to mention, so like they did a lot of really cool stuff with the fact that a lot of the monster fights just like did not have any music. It was just the noises of these like monsters really fucking whacking each other, which was sick as shit. And then, I don't know, if you really pay attention during, like, the the um, fleet sequence where, where, like, the boats are getting turned upside down and Godzilla's in the water, they do some really cool transitions for when you're above and below water and, like, when there's, like, a lot of noise or when it's muted. I don't know. I just... I don't usually notice sound design. I have the advantage of having lived with a dialogue coordinator, uh, with somebody who's very into noises, um, and he taught me a great deal in our couple of years of cohabitation. Um, but like truly for me to notice it, it has to be so good. And this was so good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like there was the depth charge scene, which was very cool because depth charges always have that cool, like boom sound, which I think is great. But like, yeah, especially just like the feeling, the impact uh, of every haymaker tossed by <laughs> King Kong. If this uh, ever comes back on a big screen for some godforsaken reason we've got to figure out a way to go yeah yeah because it you know it, it everything looks incredible um it, like you know truly i i think that it's largely horseshit that everybody's like you have to see my movie on imax otherwise you're not really seeing it but like 
I do think that, you know, I watched this on my like slightly big screen TV and I was like, oh, this this fucks. I wish I had seen this, you know, uh, just completely blasting in my face completely overwhelming my senses yeah no offense mr Nolan. i don't give a fuck about seeing no skin pores with film grain over it i'm just like not interested i will watch that shit on my phone all i want i care about big monster do big punch into building in hong kong and it's lit up cool that that's for me that is the imax experience i want yeah the, the lighting in that hong kong scene was just so gorgeous like it's like truly it, it was just beautiful i i can't even like i'm being completely sincere when i thought when i say it, it was just just so stunning to look at yeah absolutely one hundred thousand percent. um but you know speaking of hong kong the set pieces in this fucking movie are incredible from skull island to hong kong to the 33rd level of the fucking apex labs when mecha godzilla comes out of a giant anime tunnel amazing yeah i mean like y- that's the thing about like a movie like this is you have to have big spectacle and like that's that's what they did there there's you know essentially like five important scenes um one is like the the kong being in the skull island facility and like you know he takes a tree and throws it through like a projected like dome and that's really cool um another is this this fight between kong and godzilla on the on the carriers like you said earlier with like godzilla you know blowing up all these ships and like you know kong like scrabbling to to hold on to the deck of the aircraft carrier that kicks ass um when we get to introduce to mechagodzilla that's really cool because it's in like this weird underground arena that like they just went through a bunch of like neon gaming tubes uh and then like a weird skull crawler comes out and mechagodzilla you know like cuts it in half with a laser that's sick um and then, of course, there's the, the Hong Kong fight and then the final fight. And, like, those are all great sequences, but basically, like, they're like, okay, we need to have a couple impactful areas where we show monsters being cool, and they just do that. Uh, and they they it seems like they just built the movie around those scenes. And it's it's so it's so impactful and so good. And, like, as somebody who wants to tell these kinds of stories, which is, like, big monsters do fight, I mean... You know, I guess if I had my druthers, maybe I'd I'd make people like feel something about the people, like the humans in this. Uh, if I if I could pull that off, I would love to. But like, you know, as as somebody who's loved all this kind of horse shit for forever, I I want to see big monster do punch. And if you if you go in with the mindset of of big monster do punch, you can you can create some really really good shit. That's what they did. Yeah, I mean, like honestly, I think. Um, uh, the age of I blame CinemaSins. I think the age of CinemaSins really, really did movies in a little bit because now everything has to be justified. I don't care that Godzilla's hot breath was hot enough to punch through the entire core of the Earth, but then for some reason wasn't enough to puncture Kong or Mecha Godzilla. I don't care. Doesn't matter to me. Maybe he was just a little bit angier in the core moment than he was otherwise. Doesn't matter to me. All I know is he did it and was cool as hell, looked great. We truly... The thing I love about Mortified in these conversations is is a lot of the times we don't like something. Very rarely do we objectively say it's bad. We're like, ah, this wasn't for us. This is for us. They did this for us, for people like us. And yes, it's okay to, like, critically enjoy a piece of cinema. Yes, it's okay to, you know, get nitty-gritty and look for potholes or whatever. 
in movies that require that kind of attention. But I think part of the thing that makes the Marvel Universe unappealing to me at this point is that there's too much to pay attention to. My brain is smooth and small. I want to see punch. And this movie gave me punch. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I think they set the tone with, like, at the very beginning of the movie, they show, like, clips of from previous movies of, like, Kong and Godzilla fighting various monsters. And, like, they have them set up, like, a goddamn NCAA bracket. So they, like, meet at the very middle at the at the end of the sequence. And, like, that sets the tone. That's just like, hey, this is what we're doing. Don't expect more. We're, we're going to do a great job of what we've we've promised that we will set out to do. But, you know, don't don't look for this for narrative complexity. And that's that's just fine. Yes, I fully agree. Um, speaking um, of- and I guess like uh, I want to try to transition into like because I, I think your point about the MCU is a good point because like I right. I recently watched the, the newest episode of, of Book of Boba Fett, I guess. And I guess I'm putting Star Wars and the MCU together, but I'm also not sorry for doing that because, you know, we live in we live in media conglomeration. And, right, there there's always... I wanted to enjoy Book of Boba Fett more than I did, but because there are these, like, little callbacks, right? Boba Fett gets a new Naboo Starfighter at one point. Um, somebody says something, like, says the word wizard at one point, which is also a callback to episode one. Like, there, there's, you know, a Rancor shows up. And, like, I don't... I'm stuck between wanting to be like, hey, I love media. I, I, I love the Star Wars universe. I love media that, you know, plays with these old ideas and, and retorks them and tries to present them in new ways but like the thing about you know the new disney star wars stuff the new marvel stuff it is always trying to call back to somebody always trying to be chock full of of easter eggs because they know that every single frame of those films is going to be dissected by somebody on youtube and you know i i think that hurts the enjoyment uh of of the property for me when i was like it can't get out of its way to just deliver a story and, and not try to please fans and i don't think the monster verse tries to do that basically at all they're basically just like okay yeah i know that 2014's godzilla was like you know uh, a really con- contemplative and, and slow meditation on like nuclear war and you know the the climate change and like how nature is terrifying and you know it in you know we can't we're, we're so small in in the face of it um but we're just not going to do that anymore that's not we don't care we're just going to do something completely different it you know whatever your expectations are go watch the trailer uh godzilla gets punched in the face by king kong uh that's what this movie's gonna be um and i just i i think that lends it so much more goodwill to me like i you know i, I think this is this is a warner brothers film right i feel like warner brothers owns the rights to this i'm not sure i mean i saw this on hbo so it, basically i'm not saying that this is an indie project right it's fucking godzilla and king kong um but like I, I don't know. I, I just anybody who's not Disney gets so much more goodwill from me right now. And maybe that's not fair, but they're at least doing something that's a little bit, you know, it's weird to call Godzilla and King Kong a new, but it feels new to a person like me who is, you know, looking at media from my perspective of, you know, the last 25 and a half years. Yeah. Um, I fully agree like i feel like i mean this is you know a big franchise film or whatever but again it's so exhausting to like not be able like i could not dive in and just like go to the movie and watch 
Infinity Wars, right? Because you need so much context from the other 26 MCU films. I don't have that and I'm not willing to put myself through it. So it doesn't really do a great job of like onboarding new viewers. It really relies on pleasing the the like core viewers which is a fine way to go about things but when it's one of the biggest franchises in the market it gets a little bit exhausting because so much of the uh, media zeitgeist is centered around it and that's exhausting if you're a person that's not into marvel movies you know for whatever reason um but like in terms of Godzilla versus Kong, like, yeah, Godzilla's an old property, obviously, and it's definitely in King Kong, and they've both definitely departed from their origins, but there's not as much weight for the monsters to depart from their origins so long as they stick to, like, at least some set of core values, right? Like, Godzilla's always gonna have to be somehow tied to the threat of nuclear war because that's where it originated. That's a very Japanese sentiment, um, and, you know, we would be, we would be remiss to strip him of that, um, King Kong is always going to be, you know, you, we have to reckon with, with King Kong's origins or whatever. But at the end of the day, it is so much easier to onboard people onto, here's some characters. Um, they have some quirks. You don't need to know about them. Uh, big monkey punch, uh, big lizard. And then there's big machine that punch both and they both punch back. One of them gets an ax. That is, nobody ever explains that Kong's ax is nuclear. They say it's charging, but the moment where Godzilla breathes nuclear power into it, you see it glow, you know what's happening. You're like, he's charging the ax. Dope as hell. And that's all you need. So, you know, I, I am always going to be pro pieces of media that do a good job onboarding new viewers when we live in, like, the land of, like, you brought up Star Wars, right? You need to know what a Mandalorian is <laughs> to, like, get into the Mandalorian or even want to watch it. So, it's, um, yeah, I really enjoy things where you can just kind of, like, onboard and, and get new viewers in, 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 like, a low effort way. So, yeah, kudos from me. Yeah, 100%. If that's the case, then, um, Layla, when we become media moguls, as as we assert at the end of every podcast, um, what what are the two characters um, that you are going to want to make fight for for two hours over various set pieces? Hmm, it's a great question. Do you think we could get like a very 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 big um, Hugh Jackman in The Greatest Showman versus a very 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 big Hugh Jackman in Pan? Huh. Mm -hmm. I mean, based on Hugh Jackman's oeuvre, I'm sure there is some crossover where he gets very, very big. Uh, and I would like to see those two people fight and kill each other. Mm -hmm. Alternatively, very big Hugh Jackman and Van Helsing versus very big Hugh Jackman and, and Greatest Showman. Hmm. hmm. I feel like Van Helsing is going to have one up on Greatest Showman. I don't know. He wasn't a particularly good shot. I guess that's a good point. You're not wrong, but you know, fucking P.T. Barnum in that that movie was just a dude. And I would like to see him die. What about you? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, man, I'm just distracted by that wonderful image. Um, you know, I feel like American mythology has really, you know been buried and i think we need to start um trying trying to reinvigorate the spirit of america at the risk of sounding like a fascist um i i feel like would be very interesting um i feel like various people have said in the past like oh i want to you know 
create some sort of mythology for America. But we already have Paul Bunyan. Um, and I feel like you get Paul Bunyan and his big blue ox. Um, you know, maybe we get Daniel Boone. Maybe we get Johnny Appleseed. Maybe we get Lewis and Clark. I don't know. Maybe we get like a weird Avengers team. Uh, and they all have to team up and fight Paul Bunyan. Um, or maybe maybe the Statue of Liberty huh. gets turned into a mecha robot. Hard to say. Um, that would be, that's quite the metaphor of Paul Bunyan cleaving cleaving the head off the Statue of Liberty. Uh, it's... Can I make a spinoff suggestion? Yes, please. Mecha Statue of Liberty versus American Cryptids. We're talking Mothman. We're talking Jersey mm. Devil. Yes. Yes, 100%. Um that would be that would be really good, I think, because then we can get we can get like the scene of <laughs> Mecca Statue of Liberty like walking through the 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 mountains of West Virginia like peeking over um th- it's not the Smokies, is it? It's the the Appalachians. You're peeking over the Appalachian Mountains and then like you see nothing, you just see the tree line, you just see that beautiful West Virginia uh horizon. And then a big fucking mothman jumps up on her on her head and like tries to crush her skull and then she gets her uh you know torch out. Her torch is actually a flaming sword. Um flaming that would be very good. flaming chainsaw. Oh yeah, well, oh yeah, you're right. This is America. Yeah. A flaming chainsaw. Flaming chainsaw. Um that would be very good, I think. All right, great. I'm so happy that me and you uh Warner Brothers call us. Um, we're ready at any moment. Oh, listeners, if you want to pitch your own great dual movie, you can call us at 775-573-8882 uh, and let us know what uh, two important characters you would like to make fight for, for a long time. Layla, when we are not trying to um, make various people duel for our enjoyment, um, where can people find us on the internet? You can find me at L-E-Y-L-S-E-S on Twitter, Tumblr, and Instagram. Uh, I'm just getting adjusted to a new schedule right now, so things are pretty quiet. But, you know, essays, webcomic, and such, they're all coming coming along. Aaron, where can people find you? Uh, I'm on Twitter at AaronSXL, where I tweet about health policy and tabletop RPGs. Uh, the day this goes up, I will have released a new video about uh, Chess Two Kingdoms, which is a fun... Uh, tabletop game about using chess to tell a story um i do another podcast uh it's at the bible boys we will be talking about uh christian media but specifically the golden compass not the new series that's probably next week but the movie with nicole kidman um so check that out if you're interested in uh damons and and such um our theme song is obsolete by keshko from the album filmmakers reference kit volume two you can find more of their music at keshko.bandcamp.com oh layla um as we say goodbye uh as as godzilla swims back into the ocean uh and kong uh takes a well-deserved snooze in the center of the earth uh, how shall we uh say goodbye to our listeners this week uh well if there's a corporate friendly term for sacrifice pit Aaron, i'd say we're in it god that's incredibly true we'll see you all next week (laughs) 